Hello and welcome to Talk Filmy to Me. I am John. We've also got Flinty here. We're reviewing two films this week. A Simple Favour, starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. We've got all the regular news. And we're also reviewing Crazy Rich Asians, which might cause a little breakup in the podcast family. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It's the podcast that you can discover on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, my mum even found us on Alexa the other day. She said, Adam, I discovered you on Alexa. I was like, mum, you said you subscribed from the beginning. <laughs> anyway, speaking about someone who has been with me from the beginning, it's my OG host. It's my main man. It's a guy who has been on other podcasts like Verbal Ramblers. He's also been on computer games like Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero 2, DJ Hero. He's also got an album called Lucky Dust. It's available on Spotify and all good streaming services. John Descamento, how are you doing, buddy? Amazing. Yeah. And a bank of work that has made me close to $100 now. So uh, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> happy with how that's going po- lots of mu- lots of money in podcasting as we found out flinty uh some might say we're crazy rich podcasters john <laughs> what a segue you love a segue speaking of a segue shall we mix it up <laughs> even though there has been a metric shit ton of news over the last week let's let's mix up a little bit today so we're gonna go straight into our first review crazy rich agents enjoy what about us taking an adventure east like Queens? Singapore. Colin's wedding. So your family is rich? We're comfortable. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. Crazy Rich Asians is a triumph in many aspects. It started life as a hugely successful series of books uh, written by Kevin Huan, I think I pronounced that correctly, and it's made the transition to the silver screen. It's directed by a gentleman called John M. Chu, and this is quite important because this is the first film, Western film, I should say, in 25 years to contain a a predominantly Asian heritage cast. Uh, The film follows the story about Rachel Chu, who's a Chinese-American professor, and she's going to basically meet her boyfriend's family. Her boyfriend is family's based in China, in Singapore, but he's omitted a certain detail. Detail that he's actually part of a filthy rich family and that she's about to embark on a journey where she has to go meet and find acceptance with basically the craziest, richest, strictest people I think you're ever going to see on film. John, uh, I took him along as my date to this. It's basically a rom-com, really. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It's definitely a rom-com. I wasn't... It's, I love when I can go and watch a movie and I have no idea what it's about. I hadn't no, had watched a trailer or anything, so I was quite excited to turn up. But it's one of those rom-coms you don't realise until about an hour in and then you're like, okay, I'm in a rom-com. Uh, maybe I'm just being slow, but very much <laughs> a rom-com. It was lovely to have a date with you, Flinty, as ever, watching a rom-com. <laughs> but you're right. At the beginning of the film, it kind of positions itself a bit weirdly i actually i started off not liking this film to begin with um it tries to be a bit innovative with different uses of fonts the fonts are fucking shit in this film by the way it's like clip art gone wrong but um it tries to use different locations to quickly show messages between different asian families and stuff and it tried lots of different things out and i applaud creativity i applaud attempts to to try and do things that we're not necessarily used to but i was it, it brushed up against me up until the film to me the film actually starts when uh when rachel and nick uh, end up 
landing in Singapore and they actually the actual story unveils about how just how rich his family really is. This film showcases China in such a beautiful way. It makes me want to go over there right now and just try all the food and everything else. But there is an element of luxury property porn to this, isn't there? Oh, it's complete wealth porn. It feels like... I don't know if you ever watched Entourage. I couldn't get through much of it, but it's it's kind of just lauding high wealth and you know that sort of aspiration. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea. But if you like that sort of thing, maybe maybe you'll enjoy that. It was kind of interesting to see how the other half live in a film setting. Yeah, so I mean that's the general premise of the film. It's about Rachel coming over to to China. Although she is she's of Chinese heritage herself, there's a real underlying feeling of identity in this film, and it was really important that they got Chinese heritage actors to play this, um, because everyone in this film is in some size, shape, or form of Chinese heritage, but not necessarily direct descendants. So it was interesting how they combated that demographic in in the film, uh, where. There's a touching scene between Rachel and her mum saying, you may look Chinese, but inside you're American, and they'll know that from the off. And uh, that does come across in some of the conversations between Rachel and, and Nick's friends and family and all that sort of thing. It kind of uses cultural appreciation, but does it in a really sarcastic and tongue-in-cheek way. Um, I don't think by any means this film is uh, offensive in any aspect of that at all, but I definitely think that it borders that line of, oh, is that funny? Is that not funny? Should I laugh? But um, knowing people who, A, are in relationships with people with uh, who are from Chinese heritage families, I can definitely say that they're definitely doing it in a very uh, tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, what do you think about the comedy of this film? Did it make you laugh? Ah, I mean, I like your rule of did it. How many times did I laugh out loud? And I can't. I, it must have been on one hand. I didn't find it that funny, to be honest. And it is meant to be a comedy. Um, yeah, I mean. Not that funny, but more troubling was the fact that 45 minutes in, I turned to you and it's like, there's not been one one ounce of conflict yet in anywhere. It's been like a very tiny murmur of something, but it was like, it was just sort of wealth porn for the first 45 minutes. Uh, and I, it was kind of boring. And I was, I looked, I checked the clock. I was like, nothing's really happened yet. Um, so kind of a, a slow starter in that sense and it almost felt like it was playing it safe hmm. i agree with you to an extent i do agree that it took a minute to get started but when it did i don't know something happens where all of a sudden it's on the charm offensive and and i, I think you have a good time in this film i think the cast is brilliant in this film so rachel's played by a person called constant Wu. Um, she was in a tv show called fresh off the boat in the u.s it's been a huge smash hit success runaway success and and this is that first step in the ladder for her for that film career also the guy who plays nick her fella it's a gentleman called Henry Golden now this is his first ever acting gig before then he worked for the BBC working on a travel show and he's kind of got that that very travel show voice which makes you feel very relaxed and very charming and um, he just he oozes charm and charisma and I never thought I would I would say that about someone in their first time role but he absolutely smashes it there's kind of a campaign out there to to get him to be the next Bond and I remember hearing about this and reading about this before going into the film going oh this is just this is just that the people trying to get on the good side of other people by saying oh he's really good he's, he's actually incredible and it's like nah so I went in pretty skeptical but you know what I'm a believer this guy 
he he is very charming. He is very suave. And to say that's his first time in front of a movie camera, being a co-lead in a film of this magnitude, that's incredible, man. Props to him. He, I mean, I, I agree he would make a really good Bond, but I don't know if that's a, a good thing. Uh, in my, I found <laughs> his character... Kind of, there's a there's an element of Hollyoaks about him, and I I don't know. It's not a kind thing to say, but I just find his acting a little wooden. And I'll come back to that in another film review we're doing this week because he was actually in A Simple Favor as well. He's the main guy in that, um, and it was a very similar performance. And I I just found it quite wooden uh, and lacking a bit of depth. Oh, oh, God, John, you're going to shatter my illusion of this dude. I've already got him in the tux in, in my head, man. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I want him to be Bond, and I think he'd do a good job. Um, but I don't... Yeah, I think he's got what it takes to be Bond. I'm not sure he's got, he got, he's got what it takes to uh, play more, more deeper roles. Okay, well, that being said, he's he's done a pretty good turn in this role. In terms of the other cast, there's Michelle Yeoh, Gemma Chan, Chris Prang, uh, very well-known names in Asian cinema, and also to a lot of American audiences as well. But it also pulled in a few comedic performances. So Ken Jong, you may know him as the, the funny Asian guy in pretty much everything he's in, but his all, main things, though, you'll think about is the Hangover movies. He's got his own TV show. I think it's called Dr. Chen. Um, he's also uh, in Community. He's absolutely hilarious in that. Um, He's not in it this film that much, but when he is, it's very, you know, you can't help but smile. He does try to steal the scene a little bit as well when he's in there. And um, what did you think about the about Ken's performance in this? Yeah, very funny. Uh I kind of wanted him to be in it more because he he wasn't he didn't get that much screen time, but whenever he was, he he stole it, didn't he? And I agree there was some great cameo, not cameos, but bit part performances, really good. But um, what I did enjoy about this, about halfway through the film, other than John leaning over and saying there's no conflict, he uh, did point out one thing, which I, I honestly didn't see coming until he said this, was this is basically Pride and Prejudice, just done in a different sort of tongue-in-cheek Asian way. And I was like, to an extent, yeah, you're right. There is kind of a, a, a I want to marry this person, or I want to be of this person. Well, that's not part of the right family. Oh, well, I'll see things differently now. Yes, okay, this isn't going to reinvent the wheel. And uh, yeah, it was quite obvious, actually. I didn't realise that comparison until you said that. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I said it was one of the Jane Austens. I, I don't know my Jane Austen enough to uh, know which one, but it's the classic sort of disapproving family uh, st- story trope, isn't it? Um, mm. But... Yeah, I mean, it it definitely had a fresh feel. The whole thing had a real fresh feel, uh, largely down to the kind of the, the cast and it being yeah. most of it being set in kind of Singapore, which is a really interesting place in the world that, uh, you know, we don't get to see a lot of. So I think that gave it a really fresh feel. Mm. No, I definitely agree. The cast makes this film. In fact, it's the cast that brings the heart to this film. And, and it really does. Uh, it does put a smile on your face. Well, it puts a smile on my face anyway. I thought Gemma Chan, I thought she was absolutely fantastic. She was playing a character who is one of the sisters of Nick. But um, she is the nice one. She's the, the one who owns her own charity, the one that's kind of done everything by herself. Uh, she does have a, a, an interesting story trope with her husband in this. And uh, it, yeah, it's, I think she does a really good performance in this film as well. Um, 
one of the things that I really did enjoy about this film is the music. Um, it really does mix uh, a lot of Western and Asian uh, different sounds. But what I found really interesting was they would do Asian covers of traditional Western pop songs, but with a obviously translated into, I assume, Cantonese or, or uh, simple Chinese. And at the end, there was a beautiful version of Coldplay's Yellow done and there was just something that was so apt about playing that song at that time in the way it rang out it was all yellow it was absolutely beautiful and uh, that kind of left me leaving the cinema with a big smile on my face did you enjoy the music of this i did there's a the kind of big scene where they they play an acoustic cover uh, i need to find out the singer but she's sung i can't help falling in love with you classic wedding cover but it's the stunning like vocal performance, and I don't think I think it was too good for the scene. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> I don't know how much of my my uh, kind of resentment for this film is the sort of wealth porn element and an old liberal like <laughs> me just being unimpressed by really rich people trying to come across, you know, human. But um, no, that's that's harsh. But I just felt. I don't know. It just, I think it kind of relied on it a bit. And there wasn't actually, I want to judge this movie because every review I've seen is like, yes, it's great, diversity, great, everyone's um, Asian. But I kind of want to judge it on on its merits as a film and as a story. And I feel like there was nothing remotely new about the story. And it kind of, it felt all a bit too familiar. It definitely had a fresh feel. I just feel like it was also, there was a lot of cliches in there. And I felt like it was, it could have done with just taking a few more risks, maybe. Oh, John, this is going to be the review that divides us. I I generally, I don't don't know what it was about this film, but I, I had a good time with it. I think once you get to Singapore and get past the, the kind of premise of setting up the film and just let it breathe. There is some really good moments in this. I really thought there was some some interesting moments. I agree with you. I didn't laugh as much as I probably should for a comedy, but I thought the cast were just so magnetising that you really were drawn to them on screen. Um, I agree. We should definitely judge it just by its merit. Yes, it's fantastic the diversity that this is promoting, but ultimately, you know, we're here to watch a film and be entertained and and you know judge it on that alone. And um, I personally did really enjoy this i would love to see where some of these cast members go in their careers i think constance Wu is absolutely fantastic and um, if you've seen her show off the boat you'll know exactly what you're getting with her i thought henry is absolutely fantastic and yes um you know he's probably got a lot to learn and hopefully he will do and um yeah i i don't think they should start doing sequels to this or spin-offs or anything like that but as John mentioned, we don't get the opportunity on the screen to see these places in the way that they intend to be shown sometimes. And this is a real homage to what things should be and how the world really is with different cultures and and the appreciation of that. So I applaud that. And I really did walk out of cinema with a, with a smiley face, um, just the way it was positioning. I do agree that some bits were a bit um, tonally, not exactly what we're after, but I really enjoyed this film. And um, I'm personally thinking three out of five. I think, John, you're feeling a little bit lower, if not considerably <laughs> lower on that. I'm happy. Where, where are you sitting at the moment? I'm sitting at a, a kind, kind three. Um, I could definitely, I could, I wouldn't argue with a two. But my, uh, just one more point is the cultural side of things. The diversity is great. But, I mean, it's looking, 
it's a story about uber rich people with slaves everywhere <laughs> i kind of want to know about the slaves what are they not the slaves but all the workers they've got because they've got tons of uh people on minimum wage you know cleaning their shit and all this i want to know about their stories you know because i kind of feel <laughs> like if if there was one scene that was about them it might put everything in perspective and you'd be like actually i don't care about your love lives you rich rich fucks anyway um three out of five John's going to go direct the the logically thinking poor Asian <laughs> sequel. Yeah, hit me with it. I want to know about real real China and Singapore. There we go. So there you have it. Although we've come from very different directions, we got there with the score in three out of five crazy rich Asians. Enjoy. You nasty. You got a nasty. You got nastier. <laughs> there you go. Nice to have a bit of conflict in the review. Unlike Crazy Rich Asians, of course. Oh, oh. anyway, let's move away from, from conflict. Should we crack on with news? News. Okay, so speaking about Bond, we've been talking a lot about, obviously, Henry's uh, chops to potentially be the man in the, with the golden gun. However, obviously, we've got a Bond film we need to make at the moment. So it's Bond 25, which is happening very, very soon. It has announced the director, Kari Joe Fukunara, as the director. This is the first time a director has not been a British director, which is absolutely fantastic because, to be honest, that whole thing of, oh, they must be British, is absolutely stupid. This is an American director and cinematographer. He was known for making films like Sinobre. Uh, he's very up and coming, but he is won tons surprises and uh and this sounds like a great appointment in my opinion and um, john how do you feel about us finally shackling throwing off the shackles of it has to be a brit and they've just gone for the best up-and-coming guy going i uh, yeah it doesn't matter does it i mean bond <laughs> bond has to be a brit but behind the camera you just want someone who can do the job as as well as possible um and bond's a very global sort of thing nowadays and so, yeah, it doesn't bother me one iota. Fair enough. I was really hoping they'll go for, is it uh, Bart Jefferson? I can't remember. The guy who directed American Animals. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And if he wasn't at the top of their list, um, he mustn't. He couldn't have been that far behind. Um, but anyway, yes, it's about time they've announced their new director. And they've got to crack on because they have got not long to start post uh, pre-production and everything else in between. Um, inevitably, people will start talking about who the next Bond will be after this. But you know, let's not forget, we've got 25 coming up and it's going to be Daniel Craig's last outing. Anyway, moving on. In the world of the internet, there's been a few trailers dropped over the last few days. We're going to talk about Captain Marvel uh, with Brie Larson. The first trailer dropped for it the other day. And it has obviously caused such a stir across the internet. Obviously, this is Marvel's first female superhero um, to have her own film. And uh, everyone has been waiting for this for a little while. Obviously, DC beat them to the punch with Wonder Woman. So the bar has already been set considerably high. So this is their first outing on that we saw the scrolls uh, which is her nemesis in this film uh, in this film being portrayed by ben mendelson as well as loads of other names it also had a dh samuel l jackson because this film is set in the 90s and oh my god it looks incredible i just want to watch this film where it's just samuel jackson in the 90s all day i'm pretty sure he's only in it for a handful of scenes because it is a fucking expensive <laughs> thing to do to make someone look like that for that long but uh, yeah john have you had a chance to see this trailer yet i have and do you know what halfway through it i was like why why am i uh slightly more engaged than the normal sort of 
Marvel DC trailer that's big and loud and I usually skim over and I realised it was Samuel Jackson's voice that had me completely hooked in and <laughs> I didn't realise that that they'd um, made him younger looking I should have realised but yeah that's that's amazing isn't it I it, it looked incredible oh it really does I don't know if they can do it for a whole film like it only seems to work really well when it's just the odd scene but but let's see how it goes I mean there's one shot in this trailer which has caused quite a bit of controversy and that is Brie Larson's character punches a little old lady on a bus. Now, anyone who does their research about this character would know that the scrolls, which is her enemy in the in her comic book lore, that these are shape-shifting creatures which inhabits other species and eventually takes them over. Now, it is perfectly reasonable to assume that that little old lady is a shape-shifting monster and she is now attacking it. Unfortunately, some press outlets did not do their research and gone, this is disgusting. How dare they show the first time there's a woman superhero she beats up some little old lady and it's like oh my god guys chill the f out just (laughs) check the source material it's okay it's the equivalent of the deadpool scene where he he goes to kill baby hitler it's okay Mm. he's killing a baby but it's baby hitler (laughs) it's yeah it's really not it's really not that bad context people yeah exactly context another thing that really sort of wound me up and i think a lot of the internet saw sense and told this person just to just to take a minute was that there was a complaint by a journalist saying Brie Larson only has 34 words in this trailer, whereas Samuel Jackson has 60. Come on, Marvel, what does that say about 2018? Now, I understand she's coming from a very good place. There's also a place about quality over quantity, and quantity, and context, and everything else in between. We can. How can you say that this, this trailer's sexist? How can you say that this is not empowering of women? The whole concept of this film is about a woman being empowered to be the most powerful being in the fucking galaxy and yet somehow there is still people not hitting the right marks with this and still have got issues have you have you heard this about the whole word count thing no but that just seems incredibly sad that someone would count but i mean the whole trailer (laughs) is samuel jackson's voice you you spent all the millions of pounds use his voice come on brie larson's incredible and i think that's an amazing acquisition for this character I love Brie Larson, but, you know, I think that's pedantic to say the least. The whole thing is about her. I mean... Yeah, even the the wordplay at the end, which, by the way, I was such a dumbass. So basically, if you haven't seen, there's a bit where it says her... And then they put an O at the end, spells hero. And I was like, why have they gone her O? Oh, wait a minute. No, she's being her own hero. Duh. She's obviously being, you know, I can't look to other people to, to get me through this. I must be my hero. I'm my own hero. Her hero. Yes, it makes sense. Very clever play on words. And how the fuck has no one realised that um, up until this point? Anyway, obviously empowerment is a clear theme of this film. And it looks fantastic. I'm really pumped for this. I agree with you, Brie Larson. And um, is very much an amazing acquisition for this film. Um, she she really does empower what this role is all about and just her character in general about tolerance and acceptance and and using that as a platform for better understanding of everyone is that's what she's all about go look at her twitter feed and tell me that she's not about having a conversation about trying to make things better which is the exact epitome of what a hero does and i generally am hyped for this and um, obviously this is the 
the warm-up for Avengers 4. This is the what happened, the solve, the snapping and everything else. Also, it's set in the 90s, which is great. A, it makes me feel really fucking old, though, mm. that they're classing this as like an old-timey film that is set in the 90s. But imagine what the soundtrack's going to be dope. She was, you, know, you see set pictures where she's wearing a nine-inch nail shirt and like Nirvana's being played and all that sort of stuff. So just for the soundtrack alone, I'm pumped. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping this is the film that I really wanted Wonder Woman to be but didn't hit the mark for me because I'm a really uh, grumpy old bastard. But Brie Larson, Samuel L. <laughs> Jackson, I think this... Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this and I will definitely come with you, Flinty. And you can tell me all about nice. the Marvel Universe. I can. Oh, John, I can talk about that all day. <laughs> so so we, we might want to go for a beer beforehand. Anyway, um, hopefully this trailer might have put a smile on your face. Mary Poppins Returns. Um, I've been very sceptical about this film. I've kind of said, look, we're kind of in this world at the moment where everyone wants to remake and reboot and do spin-offs and universes and everything in between. And we've kind of been hit with the trope of childhood story where the adult has grown up a lot whether that's hook when we were kids that was incredible but then we had the christopher robin movies we've had just loads of things all of a sudden where it's all about do you remember that thing you liked when you were younger well it's grown up a little bit and they've kind of pulled on that again with this mary poppins trailer have you seen this one yet john yeah i uh it was a weird one because i started off and emily blunt done her very twee voice and i thought that's a bit annoying um, but then by the end of the trailer, you just can't help but be sort of overcome with joy. And it looks like the animation they've done pays real homage to the original, where it actually looks like it could have been, uh, you know, a, a genuine sequel. Uh, so it looks incredible. Uh, the casting is amazing. So I'm, you know, count me down as a little bit excited. But the proof is going to be in the songs because we all know the original Mary Poppins has one of the best soundtracks of all time. Feed the Birds, you know, Super Cow. It's uh, Fly a Kite. Fly a, let's go fly a kite, Flinty. I mean, at bangers. Banger after banger after <laughs> banger, that film. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping Lin-Manuel Miranda, who plays, uh, what do we call him? Dick Van Dyke's character in this one. I'm hoping he's had a part in the songs and, yeah, they're on point. Did I not get Dick Van Dyke to come back? He comes back as... Uh, no, he's another character. He might be the same person. I, he's definitely in it, but he's an older guy. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I thought... Yeah, I thought I saw him. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. This really does play on some of the old tropes, but in a very respectful way. I really like the animation. There's a scene where um, Mary Poppins touches something and then butterflies start appearing, but they, they appear in the classic animation style that you remember from 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 Mary Poppins. So um, I started off not wanting to like it, but I couldn't help but be drawn in and... All of a sudden, when you start hearing those old chords of like fly a kite, I even think that they even played out at some point during the trailer. But um, I really enjoyed this. I, you know, colour me intrigued. I can't wait to see what this uh, this entails for us. And um, something else that has got me intrigued. We've talked about this for a while. It's the film that we didn't want to exist. It's the film that we questioned why it should exist. But then they started doing things like hiring really good people. Martin Scorsese was drawing to help uh, produce this film. Todd Phillips is now directing. And Joaquin fin uh, Phoenix, the crazy SOB, is playing the Joker. And we saw the first set pictures. Not only have we seen the first set pictures, but we've actually seen him in makeup now. Uh, we tweeted about this on the account a while back. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm getting pumped for this, John. Have you have you had a chance to see 
Joaquin in makeup. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's kind of old school Joker, right? They've uh, it's got yeah. it's got a bit of the Heath Ledger Joker, but uh, a bit more the sort of clown makeup. Um, yeah, I'm if I'm looking at the right one, I'm hoping. And but uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely <laughs> intrigued. It's one of these movies that yeah, it's like at first you're like, do we need this? And then the more comes out about it, you're like, oh, maybe we need this. Yes. Joaquin Phoenix, one of the best actors of our time, in my opinion. So, and he always picks good roles. I can't imagine he's going to be doing something that's that's not very intriguing and interesting. So, definitely excited for this one. Yeah, gravy. It harks back to the classic. You remember the the Batman '66 years where it was Adam West and Co. And they had I can't remember the gentleman's name at the time, but they got basically one of Hollywood's biggest actors to be uh, the Joker in this in that incarnation at the time. And it really does feel like there's a bit of a tribute slash homage to that as well. Um, I'm I'm a bit of a nerd, so I've been looking out for a lot of this sort of stuff. And there's a lot of extras that have been tweeting pictures, not of of um, Joaquin because obviously they'll they'll probably have their hands cut off, but they're they're sending pictures from the sets and stuff. And I love the little attention to detail. So that whole scene is at a train station, and when the extras posted up a picture of a map, so someone has gone out and made a map of Gotham, but it's supposed to be set in like an 80s era, so it's not meant to be like modern looking. It looks very sort of traditional 80s style stuff, but. Imagine being the guy who's like, you know what, what's your job? I come up with uh, 80s looking sets for films and TV and this particular one, it's Gotham in the 80s. I was like, that that looks amazing. And I love the attention to detail on that. Um, But anyway, moving away from that, Jordan Peele, we talked about him quite a lot. He seems to be putting his name on everything at the moment. He is rebooting the Twilight Zone for TV. This is quite exciting. His take on horror and and general uh, thriller uh, appreciation here is, is is something quite interesting did the twilight zone get you when you were a kid john um n- not really but um i mean obviously people are going to draw parallels to like black mirror with this aren't they the sort of exactly yeah. american made black mirror but um yeah i mean we can de- i think there's definitely room for some more shows like that so kind of one-off specials interesting ideas and uh, he's definitely the man to do that because i mean as he's shown to get out really original interesting kind of wacky ideas um you know with a bit of social commentary so yeah i'm excited good news yeah i hope i hope it does its own thing and doesn't try to be a just like saying American Black Mirror. Black Mirror is its own thing, which was inspired by Twilight Zone. In fact, Twilight Zone inspired anthology TV show telling uh, from, with, from a horror perspective. So, yeah, it's going to be hard to, to find its own path. But with a voice like Jordan Peele's, then it's going to be original. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm looking forward to this. And just to wrap off the news, so people of a certain age will hold the next two words I'm about to say to their heart very dear Space Jam Space Jam classic film uh, Michael Michael Jordan uh, as well as all the Looney Tunes and an unexpected Bill Murray cameo which to this day always warms my heart they're <laughs> actually making a sequel to it it's finally happening LeBron James now I'll be really interested to hear from the basketball aficionados who, who listen to this podcast because I tend to hear a lot of people say LeBron James is not the greatest basketball player of all time that always be Jordan and then I'll ask them a question along the lines of oh okay fair enough um, so 
how how are you making it how is this how can you make this comparison or how is this how's that not not correct and they tend to either be people who love basketball now or people who love basketball in the 90s but never the, the, the two so it'll be interesting to actually hear someone who who knows their stuff a bit to explain to me about okay you know why why he is so good or why he shouldn't be have that comparison but anyway lebron james is going to be the human uh, basketball element of this bugs bunny has signed on <laughs> hopefully they don't de-age him like uh, like samuel <laughs> jackson because you know what we need representation of bunnies of all ages not just what the, the <laughs> magazines do in this uh, photo not just the sexy ones. Uh, John, exactly. Space Jam, what does that mean to you? Um, I, it, do you know what? It got me a little excited when I was a kid, but I didn't, it wasn't, it's not one I hold as dear to my heart as, say, a hook. But I was under the impression LeBron James was like, on paper, statistically better than Michael Jordan. So I'm going to have to check that. But uh, I kind of thought he trumped him. But um, I, I mean, this is fun. This is cool. I'm all all up for a kind of a bit of animation meets real life wackiness, i.e. I, uh, Roger Rabbit. But uh, yeah, so definitely big family movie. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I hope they get R. Kelly to come back and do the soundtrack. Uh, don't get me wrong, I believe I can fly. It really does annoy me when I hear it. But it obviously was iconic to that film and it was iconic for, for his career as well. So it'll be good to see uh, if they do touch upon that again. And I wonder who would be, because I really hope they find a a comedian to come in of, uh, yeah, of a certain elk to, to do a surprise cameo in this. Obviously, you can't get Bill Murray back again. Well, I suppose you could do, but it'll be interesting to go find someone else. Who, who else would you like to see? Maybe Steve Coogan or someone random like that. Actually, I'm not comparing Steve Coogan to Bill Murray. I'll get <laughs> slaughtered for that. But, um, but, you know, Jim Carrey. There we go. Jim, How good would that be if Jim Carrey does a cameo? I'd love Jim Carrey to do something just bonkers and, and, and silly. Like he, you know, 90s Jim Carrey, a bit of homage to old Jim Carrey. That would be good, just for a short little cameo. That would be that a good suggestion. Well, I checked with our audience on the Talk Filmy Twitter account, uh, Talk Filmy to me at Twitter, and uh, I, I posted the question, Space Jam 2, are you pumped or do you think this is sacrilege? And 60% thought it was sacrilege which i was quite surprised about i suppose that shows our our demographics there but um i i'm actually quite pumped for this and and now i've got the idea in my head of jim carrey doing a cameo in this as a as a funny idea but um anyway yeah let's see let's see what what comes from this and yeah that's your news for this one i guess i'm probably not the kind of person you're normally friends with oh you do not want to be friends with me trust me Stephanie, I need your help. Uh, are you okay? I'm fine, but I, I do need just a, a simple favour. Can you come over? All right, we're back for our second review this week. Uh, good old Henry has uh, not only do we review his first ever film, we're actually reviewing his second ever film, A Simple Favour. It's directed by Paul Figg. Um, John, our boy, went with his, his lovely wife, Jamie, who is soon to be of West End fame, to go review this. John, what is this film about? This movie is a kind of postmodern film noir uh, kind of sentence around Stephanie, who is Anna Kendrick, who's a kind of mummy blogger who uh, finds uh, makes a, <laughs> a blogger, if you will, a vlogger. Yeah, I, yeah, a vlogger. She has it hosts her own YouTube channel, not doing you know anything spectacular, but she's well put together, very nerdy, and uh, yeah. So she's trying to find the truth behind her new best friend, 
Emily, who's played by Blake Lively. Absolutely amazing performance. She suddenly disappears from their little small town and she kind of goes on via her vlog, uh, tries to find out what happened to her um, and uncovers many twists and turns along the way. And I, I'm just going to say straight off the back that I loved this movie. I thought it was brilliant. Um, the genre is really an interesting how they're genre this one. I, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes says mystery and suspense. I've seen one uh, categorize it as five different genres. And I think that's the only fair way to do it because this truly is completely genre bending. One minute you think you're watching a thriller, i.e. Gone Girl. The next minute you think you're watching a spoof or a Desperate Housewives. And then you think you're watching a, a horror movie at times. It's just absolutely bonkers. And the film that it starts off with, when you go to the last scene, you realise it's taking you on this journey and it's sort of spun you around and it's not the film it started with. And that sounds like it could be criticism, but it actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's amazing. Uh, I really enjoyed the way it properly took you on a lot of twists and turns, kept you guessing, but it really span you around and it left you a very different film to where it started with and i think that was a really interesting and original way of telling a story a lot of reviews are saying that this film is trying to be a thriller but because there's no real um it kind of draw it tries to be too much of a comedy and it suffers at being a comedy and a thriller as, as a result of that do you think that's just interpretation or do you think that it's in danger of going down that route I no, I disagree. I think it's. I think that's cool. I think that it is genre. I think people like to categorize things, and it's un, maybe it's uncomfortable sometimes when a critic can't quite put it in a box or oh, it's trying to do too many things. You know that sort of feeling. But it truly is. It is funny from the off. Like there's funny moments throughout the whole thing. Um, but it's just. It kind of, it gets a little silly. It gets a little scary. It kind of has a bit of everything. And I think it really hit the, you know, really hit the mark on that. I mean, it's very easy, the way I'm describing it, to think that it's very, a confused film and it doesn't quite know what it is. But I think it really does, actually. Um, I mean, I'm saying this as a complete compliment. You remember Desperate Housewives? The first series <laughs> yeah. of that, I have to admit, I've, bloody enjoyed that i thought it was really good tv uh it has a lot of that about it but uh a kind of long self-contained uh episodes and so many twists and turns you don't quite know where it's going but the other thing i loved about this movie from the first scene literally it relies on nothing but really strong characters really good dialogue and great acting and it's you're completely hooked in from the first five minutes anna kendrick is amazing as this nerdy mummy vlogger she's perfectly cast absolutely brilliant blake lively you just watch her and you're like of course you're married to ryan reynolds it's like she's like <laughs> the female counterpart and um but they basically carry the movie these amazing strong characters 
they're very exaggerated characters, but that's the kind of comedic element of the film. Um, and they're very opposed characters. They really keep you guessing. And I really, really enjoyed it. The, I will say the man, the, ma- the lead man, Henry Golding, who plays Sean, who's sort of caught up in the middle of uh, the two characters, plays a very wooden Hollyoaks style performance um, <laughs> in the vein of Crazy Rich Asians. And that's it. Kind of, it, it yeah, it made me kind of dwell on the crazy rich Asians. I, I'm not sure how three dimensional he is as an actor, but he is very handsome. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, Are you saying there's hope for me yet, John? <laughs> I've, I genuinely think you could probably have done as good a job as as him. Um, so I, I'd no, he he did fine. He did fine. Jamie thought he did fine. But this is a very yeah. female-led film and it really stands up. The characters are so strong. It's really funny. Um, it's it's quite interesting that Paul Feig decided to go down this direction. Now, we know, obviously, what he does with comedies. We think about Bridesmaids and, uh, and Spy and also, obviously, Ghostbusters was his last project before, before this one. And he obviously faced a lot of backlash for that and it would have taken a long time for him to decide what that next property that he was going to work on and this feels like a real gamble to an extent this isn't just a it sounds like it's not just a comedy it's not just a sort of out of the box Paul Feig oh okay it's got some funny people and it's an enduring situation and we'll have a good time with it it feels like he's really trying to to push the envelope a little bit now I was listening to an interview with him um, about this film specifically and he his inspiration he's not trying to compare his works this but his inspiration for this was was Hitchcock um, he believed that he believes that Hitchcock does thrillers but he does an all-round thriller it's not a case of it takes itself too seriously or it's a caper it's a, it's a little bit of everything but it kind of splashes in a main theme of describing it as a thriller and knowing that it sounds like he really did try and uh, bring his own sort of flair to it, but keep it very broad in terms of all the different styles. And it sounds like, you know, to, to your description, John, it sounds like on that strength he's he's pulled it off. He's made a, an enjoyable film here. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's sort of uh, maybe unshackled um, from those. Bridesmaids is obviously really funny. Um, Ghostbusters, uh, I never watched, but didn't <laughs> get received so well. But he has a certain um, a certain comedic wit as a director, and he. Uh, I mean, I think this is. I mean, there's elements of spoof to it. Big elements of spoof. Uh, when you, a lot of people think of Gone Girl, um, I mean, this is a. You could say it was a comedic sort of version of that, uh, or amalgamation of that. But um, yeah, it's interesting because I mean, Rotten Tomatoes. It gives it mid eighties sort of score. Crazy Rich Asians nineties. So that seems completely backwards to me. Um, I thought this is a really really good movie. I encourage you all to watch it. I promise you, you won't get bored. Um, and you know, the movie theater was half full, which is pretty good for our local cine world, as you know, Flinty. <laughs> all right and john so let's, let's tie this one off so so great this sucker where does it sit for you uh so it's gotta be a four i would 
and uh, it's a high, it's a higher four. I really liked it. I couldn't give it a five when I look at some of the other films I I've given a five, but really enjoyable. Definitely recommended. Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively are fantastic. Uh, yeah, go see four out of five. taking the time to listen to this podcast if you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it please click on the like subscribe the follow whatever button it is that you get more content from talk filming to me i want to thank my boy john how can people find you you can also find me on twitter at descamento and you can get involved with us and talk to the show and find out more about how we make stuff and maybe even work with us on other pieces if you get in contact with us at talk filming to me on twitter we'll be back next week with a review we'll be doing a feature and we'll have a streaming gem we'll be reviewing Netflix's Iron Fist Season 2. Till next time. Bye-bye. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.